0: In the back of my mind, Christian life was a treadmill. We just
1: slowly turned the treadmill up.
0: Crisis is not our enemy. In fact, nothing good happens without
1: crisis. We see people living in a kind of way that we would like to follow, charting a kind of route.
2: I guess I'd gone from worshiping the waves that God made to worshiping the God who made the waves. And surely that's got to be so much more inspiring.
1: Guys, welcome back to the Anson's Podcast. hope you're having a great summer. We are really excited to roll out season three. We've spent the last month in interviews and actually traveling to record a lot of pretty phenomenal episodes. So we can't wait for some of the stuff we're going to be rolling out over the coming weeks. And we're glad to be back.
2: Yeah, so this first episode is with a friend of ours, Tim Thornton. We actually did an article with him uh, for the magazine two years ago, three years ago, something like that. And Tim is a friend. He's an artist. He is a mentor. He lives in town here in Colorado Springs with us. And we had him into the, the office to talk about art and creativity and Actually, where this conversation went, and we ended up spending a lot of time, was around difficulty and crisis and how you handle that. And so there's just a lot of gold there. If you want to know more about Tim, we'll put a link in the description to his art and his uh, interview we did on the magazine. Hope you guys enjoy it. So, Tim, I'm excited to be having this conversation today because we almost have to do this disclaimer for every single episode of the role of the creative, the way that we interact with God in that, the way that we have to like bring something to the table. And we end up doing these sort of disclaimers because we'll be talking with a worship leader or we'll be talking with, uh, Matt Ravens, you know, the leather sculptor and it feels very specific. It can feel very like, oh, well I'm not that. And then we have to jump in and blame very helpfully several podcasts ago with Justin Rizzo jumped in and said like, no, 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 this is a role for everyone. Everyone is called to have some creative role and expression in their lives. And I just, I, it felt like that's like a conversation that I've been excited to have more around. And so that, that's kind of my, my soft initiation into this conversation. Yeah, to- that's that's very interesting.
0: Art is just another way of cultivating, right? And in Eden, we're all given the assignment to cultivate and to kind of extend Eden throughout the earth. Us artists, we like to think that we ha- are a very particular type, uh, and maybe it's true we have our particular dysfunctions uh, that are very special. <laughs> very,
2: very <laughs> but unique. what we do is not all that different from other people, right? Hmm. It's it's a different sort of field. Right. I remember in college, as I was studying poetry and wanting to be more of a writer and coming into more of the that identity, that I felt like I had to... I don't know. Smoke cigarettes and brood in dark doorways. And did really, you wear a black beret? I no, no wrong actually, time period. <laughs> right, dude. When I was thirteen, I think I wore a green beret because I wanted to be a warrior. But no, this is a different. This is a different time. I, I just had this idea in mind that like creativity and creation and artistry, like it had a certain look to it. And what's been really helpful is. Yes, that's true. But there's there's so much power in I think the, the co-creative is just one of the more godlike things about us. I actually think I think I said that in a recent podcast as well. But I mean, there's the power to love, the power to forgive, the power to engage. But it is that like what you're saying, it was the thing that was bestowed in Eden was to to name and to be cultivating and God like is this creative God. And so that we have the same capacity I think is amazing. And so oh my gosh, there's just there's just so many directions we could possibly go with this. But I think I, I because we did an article with you, well, oh my gosh, a while ago, Blaine, you interviewed Tim. Yeah, it was almost two years ago now. I was
0: thinking that this morning, almost two years,
2: yeah. Uh, there's something, I think, to sharing our own stories and things that we've been walking in it, and so these these other aspects will come out. But I'd love to revisit for you, Tim, the different ways that kind of creativity and more of our expected ideas of what that means um, has had a role in your life, both in music and in painting and art. And then obviously there's so many other ways that it's not exactly the stereotype, Um, but... Communal governance, oikonomos, take it it all over the place. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) And and just work of any kind, right? Because any kind of work begins with a vision. Some beautiful... um, Idea that we see in our mind's eye, and we think to ourselves, we as co-creators with God are, are perhaps commissioned or or allowed to move into the space of taking a vision and making it reality, and that's sort of um, the you know the the beginning euphoric phase that you know I think any artist or business person has experienced, hopefully. Right, we're probably made to experience that, and so if we're not experiencing that, it, it'd be cool to figure out how to how
2: to get that into our lives. The the vision that the you the vision want, part because sometimes the making it reality doesn't always happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, creative things the the process of going through through creative things tells us the gospel. Tell it, it mirrors the larger story that we're in all the time, and the 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 second thing that happens is, you know, we begin to put our hands to the work of, you know, bringing a beautiful vision into physical reality. We start doing the actual cultivation, and uh, pretty soon we realize it's not coming together the way that we imagined it would. There's, there's different elements that come into play, our own physical limitations, the fact that the vision when it begins to get put together looks nothing like I imagined it would. And it's, that's sort of like the fall phase in a creative process. It's like, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? How could I have been so naive as to imagine something beautiful when, you know,
1: look at this mess that I've made before me? This <laughs> right. isn't at all how it's supposed to go. <laughs> it reminds me of... A comment that C.S. Lewis makes through the voice of screw taping the screw tape letters as soon as the patient has become a Christian, or he just advises Wormwood, wait. There is an experience of deep disappointment coming, and you need to be ready. And then he begins to explain anything that a person undertakes, any creative act living life in a marriage, running an enterprise, even stepping in the direction of a dream, education, a move of a state, as soon as they take that step, there is a, a downturn coming that Screwtape explains that God actually allows because he has in mind not just the culmination, not just the finishing of that particular work, but our maturation is human beings, mm-hmm. which is going to require the other stages of the life of creation after the fall into the work of Christ. But it's just amazing. I can recognize, you know, I think of it's most visible in, say, a piece of prose. I get this cool story idea. I like to write fiction. And in things that fall really easily under the banner, recognizably, of art, I experience this all the time. Start the project and then it crashes. The paint is not working. The vision is not coming together. But I think this is as identifiable in my relationships with my friends and the things that I undertake with the people that I'm trying to live in community with. Of there's, There is a vision and there is a moment of realizing, wow, this could be added to creation or we could walk this out and it would be glorious. And then you get three steps in and the disappointment is coming. It's going to take a
2: turn. Well, and the story obviously doesn't stop with the fall, but I remember some of this conversation came up when we had just got back from filming the the piece around mountain biking that we had done this summer, and we had this vision in mind. We had that first part. We had this, okay, I think we're going to create this piece, and we're going to tell some of our stories from 2016 and some of the grief and trauma that was in that, and then we went out and filmed it and created it. And when we were done, we kind of looked at it like we looked at like a canvas or looked at a... Word document. When we looked at the film we had created, and there's this moment of, I don't know what this is. <laughs> like I, this is different than I expected. There's there was difficulty. There was beauty in it. There was potential. That's kind of where it still is. But it was like that. It was that piece of, okay, this is different than what we set out to create, and we can either leave it here. Like the story can end now in the fall. Right. Like it could end with well. And this wasn't what we originally intended, and now it's gone sideways. And let's just let's just scrap this and start off with a new vision. Mm. But that's not where the story ends. And I, I love some of the words that you were putting to it. And we, take us, take us for the next step, right? Like, right. So
0: I feel like a part of the great affirmation of what's being said around the table right now is that crisis is not our enemy. In fact, probably nothing good happens without crisis. Crisis is how the earth gets opened up, and perhaps then the seed of something beautiful can enter into a place where it can germinate and produce life. I actually just got back from a backpacking trip to Scotland, a time where I had really high expectations to meet with God and do some adventuring and reflecting. And uh, quite surprisingly to me, when I got into the space where I was getting ready to, to just engage spiritually and pray and write, God entered through the door of my disappointment. It, it was actually my unmet expectations about what the quality of this time that was going to be like that opened the door uh, for, for God to speak the things that He really wanted to speak to me. And so, a a crisis, an unmet expectation, whether it's in art, work, or a relationship. And and in a relationship, this can be really devastating if we don't have faith. If we don't have faith that crisis is actually a, a part of how we grow together in love and mature into something that is not illusory and fragile, we're not going to grow into the kind of relationships and and deep abiding love we want. If we do have faith that the crisis is our friend, then it opens up a world of possibilities. David White, I think, was the one who wrote a poem that my friend recently came over and sat down and read to me that said, a friend is a person who has been forgiven many times and forgiven many times. That, that is what defines a friendship, is, is the practice of forgiveness done repeatedly. That's actually how we come into maturing, abiding, lifelong relationships that are worth keeping.
2: I love what you're saying. I know, Sam. <laughs> it can't just be that we like, like all the same stuff and everything goes super well. And I well, remember I think, there was a quote, like some, it's not as profound, but it was acquaintances agree, friends can argue.
1: It's interesting because I think that this is where most projects of any kind derail, at least for me personally, is that the actual act of creation doesn't look like I thought it was going to look, like I anticipated this kind of just rewarding labor where I was getting my hands into the craft, whether that craft is just a conversation or making art. And I kind of pictured this, wow, this is going to be absolutely amazing. I'm going to experience some of the pleasure that God made in making the universe. But then actually, insofar as we've been saying that the act of creation mirrors the story of creation, uh, just need to be ready for the fact that what creation looks like is just punctuated with crisis and disappointment. And I remember Beekner in his book, Telling the Truth, has a great line on when he's talking about the gospel as a tragedy, before he gets to the gospel as a fairy tale, the best section of that book. But he just goes, talks about the moment where you cry out, "If you are our Father in Heaven, would you please also be our Father in Hell? Because Hell is where the action is." Hmm. But then there's the reality of the story of, again, it's like I quote Dan Allender too often, but you know he's a pithy dude, and he mentioned one time that can in- you
0: can you quote Dan Allender too often? <laughs>
1: A subject for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just mentioned insofar as Jesus is the second Adam, the mm-hmm. Eden, into which he enters is fallen creation. And so when you enter the point of disappointment and discouragement, you're actually kind of primed for uh, Jesus's wheelhouse of where he enters and then begins the deep work mm-hmm. of making something extraordinary happen.
2: Yeah, I... I'm so struck with this conversation by, what is your reaction to things not going according to plan? Whether that's in a, a painting that you're doing, but also in the way that your car or lawnmower runs, or in the way that you relate to your kids or your wife. Like, needs, I'm going to turn these into me, not not just the... I'm not going to use the ambivalent you. Um, for me, Like, what is my reaction when things don't go according to plan? And back to Dan, uh, Dan Allender, when we were having that conversation around story and how do you begin asking people questions, like how, what just a few things we can do. One of his suggestions, um, postulations was that like, you need to be okay with failing and you need to be okay with that. Like that can be play. And that like, it was almost, uh, it was almost startling in his posture of what he expected us to do when things don't go according to plan. Because when my lawnmower breaks and it was, It was just the pole cord. It was like the most simple part of my lawnmower broke. It's a $3 replacement. And internally, I'm like, oh, I think there's a shop that works on lawnmowers over off Uinta or I don't know how much is a new one on Craigslist. I'm like, wait, why is it in me that my immediate reaction to something being difficult or hard can sometimes be I'm out like this? I don't I don't like the messiness. This isn't I don't I'm not going to deal with it. And if that's a small stake piece like a lawnmower, What then does that sort of imply for the larger stake things? I don't like the implications. And so I I was just loving what Dan was implying in in his posture of like, we get better at these things by having that, like, there isn't that, that fear, right? Like if something is going wrong in a relationship to be able to step back in and be like, well, just because things are getting messy, doesn't mean I'm out. Doesn't mean that this isn't going to be a good relationship or I somehow married the wrong person actually it's the opposite like you you're digging into the good things things are are showing themselves as when we call them red flags or uh, just like there's these tells that something is going on beneath the surface and I, I want to be having that posture across the board of not intimidated by it just be able to step into it and like and play with it
0: yeah here's where I love the analogy of we're in western Colorado Springs we look up right now if we go outside and see Pikes Peak and we could get the idea that climbing Pikes Peak is going to be really cool but the truth is when we start we go to the base and we start walking up Pikes Peak the landscape is far more varied than we imagine when we look at it when we look at it from a distance we see it a certain way but when we start walking up toward it there are any number of chasms and forests, and I don't think there's actually that many chasms on the way up Pikes Peak, but for the analogy's sake. This uh, Bowling Hill. There it,
2: It's definitely not in a straight line. It's not the path you'd expect.
0: Right. So, you know, anytime you, you see the vision from far off, you, you imagine yourself kind of walking up the horizon line and everything is going to be cool. When you actually get into it, it, it gets tiring, disorienting. There, there are any number of things you have to deal with that you never imagined along the way. And this is where you have to, you have to uh, fight for vision, and you have to decide to have faith in what you can't see. And you have to decide to put one foot in front of the other, even when you don't feel like it. And, and that's where the, the work of redemption and the creative process kind of begins to happen. When I have a painting and I, I, I get to that phase that Stephen Pressfield calls the belly of the beast, that's that fall section. We talked about it in my my print interview a couple of years ago. It's the just like, welcome to hell. This <laughs> is the worst thing you have ever done. And actually, you're not good at this and you shouldn't be doing it. This was a terrible idea. You're exposed for the fraud that you are. That's when you, have, you begin to activate faith and go, well, I don't know about all that. But I can put this brush into this paint and I can put it on the canvas here, and then I can do it again, and then I can do it again, and then I can do it again. And before long, because of the faith and the, the incremental steps, things begin to take shape, and the redemption begins
1: to coalesce, right? It's huge. I think of another creative act right now that my wife and I are walking through is trying to buy
2: our first house. That is not the way I thought that sentence was going to end. I'll be honest.
1: (laughs) We'll save that for another podcast. But it's so interesting because it has so far where I think kind of on this stage where after a process, a long, long process of prayer and sermon and trying to find the direction Jesus was leading, there was like this climactic evening with our home church community that kind of resulted in, into a commissioning into the thing that God is doing for my wife and I right now with this house. And it was stormy in this backyard. kind of this beautiful night that I kind of walked away from being like, who gets that? And having this feeling that, man, if somebody else had that, I kind of feel like they would be energized forever. but I'm just not that person because, you know, we start walking it out and the area where we're looking to buy, that we feel called into, you know, not a lot of houses are available. The ones that are available are crazy. One finally comes up that we feel, we pray, we hear Jesus say, this is the one. And we offer, and not only do we not get it, but we actually get so blown out of the water that the message of the experience is, not only can you not get this house, but right now, you cannot get a house. You guys are, you know, too young, too inexperienced, you work in ministry too much to actually be able to enter this housing market and come away with anything. And and I was it I was so crestfallen for the next several days into that belly of the beast portion, and then kind of beginning to realize, like, wow, I think there is that option held out to me of either my only reality is what is happening to me moment to moment. And therefore Jesus is really gracious and trustworthy in this incredible moment of prayer with my friends on a back porch beneath cool lights and then totally absent when all of a sudden the story isn't coming together and is taking a lot longer than we anticipated or beginning to go no this is actually where we get to walk out something really wonderful where jesus makes a difference of we're going to keep trusting this is the area he's going to put us there is a house nothing's available right now but we're gonna keep doing the small things that feel faithful in this search, like driving through the neighborhood a couple times a week just to pray into it. And there's no for sale signs. and I keep waiting for the person to come out and be like, I had a dream about you, your car last night. Take my <laughs> house. Here are my keys. I'm actually already packed. But as that's not happening, it is kind of the decisive place where it's like, no, I'm going to begin. I want to be the person who responds to some of the realities of the kingdom rather than just, man, this is, this is freaking hard. And there are a lot of great looking houses in the area that we don't feel called to. Why don't I just take one of those and check out of the story rather than try to stay in something that isn't going well?
2: Yeah, I think I'm consistently impressed with myself in my ability to be young and to want things quickly and easily like that. That's not probably where you thought that sentence was going because we tend to be impressed with ourselves when it's like hey i i did that conversation pretty well or man i like really love my wife well today but instead like it seems like in your story blaine and tim and your story of scotland that i mean for me there's this moment of okay i feel like i'm called in this direction or i want i've got this vision and then as soon as things kind of go sideways so quickly, the, the voice rises up within me of of like wanting out or wanting it to like nope. I guess, I guess God's just not real, and I don't hear from Him. And uh, this story, like it, it's basically it's all <laughs> it's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing.
0: Right? It's the well, you're not who I thought you were, so I guess I'll just go be infatuated with another girl. Like it's it's that you know unable to plumb the depths and go to the places where the the crucible of character or relationship or creative formation actually happens. But the the mystery and, and a part of the glory of the gospel as we experience it in these things is that it says, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." So, it's amazing to think that the, all of the trials, the setbacks, the disappointments, the, the chasms, are not actually just incidental to our journey, they're actually the way that glory is being brought about in us.
2: Mm.
0: And because of that, we can choose to fix our eyes. And, and so, this, this is now talking about vision again. Our, our spiritual imagination gets fixed, not on the things that we can see, the, the conditions of our journey, but on our position in Christ. And so when, when we fix our eyes, we realize all these things that are trying to, uh, if we only fix our eyes on the natural, disappoint us, make us lose heart, set us back in the journey, we realize, no, actually those things are working for us. This, all of this is a part of the process of redemption.
2: That's, that's so huge, because otherwise they're detours. You're doing something wrong. Other people aren't having this issue. If only you could just get through this or make those sort of uh, difficulties Uh, happen faster. You can kind of get through them and just kind of go. Then you can get on to, quote unquote, like the real story. Right. Um, But if instead, the mindset is, I'm expecting them and I'm going to enter into them because it's actually through them that the story happens. That's a very different posture. Like I love that you brought up Stephen Pressfield and we've mentioned him before in podcasts, his war of art and his language around resistance. But there's almost something in that of like, it's going to come and it's kind of part of the story, but really it's just in the way to the real story that's happening. And this feels like the, no, like you don't get to like train yourself as a human being by skipping all of that stuff. And actually that that shouldn't mean that you sort of clench your teeth and grit your eyes and sort of go through it, but that actually there's something to be gained in its presence in the story, which is bizarre. And I, I don't want to like go down the theological rabbit hole of of all of that implies on a deeper level. So don't ask me to, because I'm not going to. <laughs> What's interesting is what you just said, uh, you, you showed
0: how the eyes change the experience. You said, if I, other people aren't having that problem, that's eyes focused on other people. Or I'm not doing this right. I'm doing something wrong. That's, that's eyes focused on your own performance in the situation that causes you you to miss the glory uh, that's actually happening through the trial, uh, but, but you said, if I have a, a vision that something good is actually happening through this, then I don't remember exactly how you articulated it, but we can, we can get on to the bigger story. And that's the cool thing. And as, as we move into the kind of uh, restoration section of the gospel story, as we experience it in any kind of co-creative endeavor with God, uh, when, when I get to this phase of a painting, after the slog and they just being committed to faith, of you know putting the next brush stroke on, putting one boot in front of the other on my hike up the mountain, when things start to come together, we realize that what we, we just walked through is a more glorious story than when we just got what we wanted without any resistance. And we begin to see like for, for the back to the painting, I realized that the painting I was working on the whole time was never the painting that I imagined in the beginning. It was a painting that only could have been done by walking through the whole process of vision, fall, redemption, and then restoration. And the whole thing, when I look, I go, oh, that actually, if I could have just painted exactly the painting I saw in the beginning, Maybe it would be cool, but I would kind of have been alone in it. And, I w- and it wouldn't have been a great story. But when the, <laughs> I just actually did a painting, and uh, it, it was a stretch for me. It, it told uh, a great story, I think. And uh, I, I walked through all of these steps. In the end, I was like, yeah, this was, this was better than what I had originally imagined. Thank you, Father. I signed it. I tied it up. It was done, and then the person who was framing it dropped it on the floor and tore a huge hole in it. <laughs> and so the painting came back to me broken, <sighs> and I had to enter back into the process of like, okay, this is not what I imagined, and yet there is a redemptive story in here somehow. And so I had to go through the work of patching the canvas and gessoing the hole. and. And the, the end process, the texture of that part of the painting, and actually the whole look of the sky in this landscape painting was way different than when I finished the painting the first time. But that's all a part of a redemptive story. And, uh, and in the particular painting, the theme was from darkness to light. And, and it moved from the left over to the right side of the sky. Left was dark and the right side was, was dawn. And when it, when it got torn and came back to me, more dawn came out in the sky than had come when I had originally finished the painting. It was more inspiring. I loved it more. And uh, so it, in the end, uh, I think what we see is a glorious story, right? Somehow Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. Somehow for all of the devastation, there is a glory of redemption, that the, the threads of that go on into restoration in eternity in a way that is beautiful. Like Jesus will always bear the scars of the work of redemption that he did. That's how we recognize the resurrected Christ. He shows the scars of redemption. So it's not that All through eternity, after all things are restored, everything that was broken will be forgotten. No, it will be redeemed, and those threads will continue to be glorious in the story that goes
1: on
2: and on. So now Tim drops every painting he does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The one thing that I want to point out in that story that feels so helpful is that... You went through that cycle twice, and I think there's something uh, really important in the reality that insofar as we're sharing in the mission of Jesus, uh, to bring the kingdom, the recognized rule of Christ on earth, we're participating in the restoration of creation that in each piece, I think we can expect, I can expect to go through this cycle. And it's not like, man, my life is just a wheel that's just up and down and up and down, but each new territory I step into needs to go through or is designed to be redeemed through the exact passion of Jesus. And so each relationship, each new phase, as it's drawn into redemption, is going to go through crisis, crucifixion, death, tomb, and then hope of resurrection, real resurrection, and then the realization of a glory that you were not looking for, but through which you actually get to learn something really extraordinary about the beauty of Jesus.
0: Yeah. People always talk about how God is the God of eleven fifty nine PM that he likes to come through at the last minute. I'm like, that is posh. You got it easy. No, he's the God of all hope was lost and we're going fishing. And then he shows up on the beach after. Way after eleven fifty nine. Actually, after you've lost
1: already. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I remember feeling this way. Um, the different seasons of my life, where new aspects of myself are being brought to the light. Of like, I need to work on the way that I relate with people, or the way that I, you know, envision my academic career and things like that. And I've, I found myself expressing this sort of irritation complaint of like, there's always something to be working on and wanting to be at a, at a place where it's like, no, now I'm good. And I don't have to, like, there's nothing else that needs to be done. I don't need to like excavate anymore. I am all put together. And they usually that's spoken and kind of the exhaustion of the moment. But I'm, what I'm struck by in this conversation and again is that like there's that the posture in the moment can be exhaustion But actually there should be a great anticipation in those moments because if I choose to stick with it, if I choose to step into it and be fully present, then actually the hope is on the other side, like the beauty of the resurrection. Like there's, there's something that is more beautiful and more ah, just profound having walked through the full story than had it never happened. Now, in the case of the story of reality, who knows what would have unfolded. We don't get to know what would have been. We'd get the story we have, and we get the beautiful way that we have this God who intervenes and works things to be better than they might have been. Um, People love that Japanese art, can I, nobody has their phone on them do they can we look oh, I it do. up I,
1: know, man. I wish I should know the name of this
2: we we all know what you're talking about though yeah just yeah it's the <laughs> <laughs> I mean honestly it probably translates to clay with gold in it but it is that that the piece is broken and put together with something valuable and that the beauty is more profound having been broken and then put back together and it it feels very true when I think about like my story and self. And yet I think what I love about this conversation is the ways that creation and creativity apply to art, to music, to my marriage, to my friendships, to the way that I'm cultivating my walk with God. Like there's, there's creation in almost every aspect of my life, except for the parts where I am medicating and zoning out. Like that, that's, otherwise, I think I'm. it's just, I love the way that these, this language and these ways that we talk about it are just permeating and marinating in, in so many new ways.
0: Right, so the one of the biggest questions becomes, what do we do with the crisis? When the crisis comes, do we medicate and zone out? Or do we expect that somehow Jesus is gonna walk through the wall and appear in the moment of our greatest doubt and redeem everything. The, your mention of the Japanese art where the, the pot gets cracked and they, they fill it with gold, right? Or so, something mixed with gold uh, calls for the Lenin, Leonard Cohen line, which I don't know if I'll get r- just right, but forget your perfect offering. There are cracks in everything. That's how
2: the light gets in. Guys, thanks for dropping by and listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today. If you want to keep tabs on us and what other projects we've got going on, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. If you
1: are no longer on social media like some of us, don't panic. You can still keep tabs on what we're up to. Just go to ansonsmagazine.com, join our mailing list, and we'll keep you in the know. And while you're there, be sure to read the magazine.